sing a song. I hope you don't hate me. It's called I'm Amazed. And it really became one of my favorite songs because it reminds me of, um, uh, of the privilege we have to walk with God every day. <clears throat> my wife says my voice is raspy, so I'll have to take a drink here for a second. <clears throat> In God's heart there's a place I was made to fill. I find amazing grace when I'm found within His will. He's reserved a sacred place where we can spend the day. And He's waiting there for me, inviting me to stay. Every day I'm amazed that God would spend a day with me. I'm overwhelmed by His grace that He would feel such love for me. To Him I'm worth saving and my heart is craving to know Him in His righteousness and understand His ways. Every day, in every way, I'm amazed. I have to go a little lower or else we won't be able to do this song. In my heart there's a place that only God can fill. He covers my disgrace with the blood that Jesus spilled. He invites me to a place where we can spend the day. And He's waiting there for me, inviting me to stay. And every day... I'm amazed that God would spend the day with me. I'm overwhelmed by His grace that He would feel such love for me. To Him I'm worth saving and my heart is craving to know Him in His righteousness and understand His ways. Every day, in every way, I'm amazed. I'm overwhelmed that He would feel such love for me. To Him I'm worth saving. And my heart is craving to know Him in His righteousness. And understand His ways. Every day, in every way, I'm amazed. Every day, in every way, I'm amazed. And I hope you are too. All right, take your Bible, turn to Luke. I want to talk about that amazement tonight. Luke chapter 24 and verse 17. Luke 24 and verse 17. I want to talk to you. The title of the message is simply, Because Jesus is Alive. I love this message. This is actually something that just ought to speak to our hearts and challenge us about 
What is it about his resurrection that still motivates us, if anything? Luke chapter 24 and verse 17, very quickly, look what it says. He, now we, we know as Jesus, the two men who are walking on the road to Emmaus, who meet this guy. They don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. But we know as Jesus. Look what it says. And he said to them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? Jesus notices something's wrong. They're talking down. They're very discouraged. Verse 18, and the one of them whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou a stranger in Jerusalem, only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And I love how Jesus says it. Look at it. He says, and he said unto them, What things? Now that's got, you know, the Bible's filled with humor, but it's kind of hidden. (laughs) Jesus knows exactly because he was at the center of it, okay? But he says, oh, what happened in Jerusalem? Tell me, will you? I love it. And they they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that he had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yay! And certain women, can't trust them, you know how it is, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulcher, and when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of the angels, which said that he was alive. Now, sometimes we forget that Jesus is alive, don't we? I mean, you'll go through day after day. It's great to have church, amen, where somebody stands behind the pulpit. You come in church, you sing, you sit, you stand, you give the offering. Things all happening as normal. But there's just sometimes when out of the blue, you're reminded, hey, Jesus is alive. And we need that. That's why we worship on Sunday, amen. That's the day he rose from the dead. It should strike back in our hearts and say, yeah, he's alive, amen. But some people in most I'm going to tell you, in this modern day, most Christians struggle with living like he's alive. Amen? We really do. So don't, don't just look at me like a house full of owls, okay? Come on, nod your head. This is where we live. We struggle with, well, why isn't it moving me? Why isn't it motivating me? Well, let's look and see if we can remember just how powerful this truth is. Go back to chapter 24, verse 1. Now, upon the first day of the week, what day is that? Sunday. Now, for the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, bringing the spices that they had prepared and certain others with them. And what were they going to do? Does anybody remember? Were they going there because they believed Jesus was alive? No. They brought the spices. Women always knew that they can do things better than men. Amen? Is that not true? Nod your head. The, the guys, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, had quickly wrapped up the body of Jesus and put spices in there. But like guys, they probably just threw them in there and got it done. So the women are going, we better do this thing right, okay? So they've come back to do a proper wrapping of the body. But look what it says in verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. Mark that down as miracle. This was a stone of mammoth size. It wouldn't, you just don't go shoving it over to the side. This thing was pushed over like it was made out of balsa wood. Verse 3. And they entered in. Now that's got to have a lot of courage. When's the last time you went into a tomb, amen? <laughs> 
but they got to see inside. They went in and they found now, secondly, what's the second miracle? The body's gone. They found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, here's another miracle. Two men stood by them in shining garments, two angels. And as they were afraid, and I'd be terrified if two guys started talking to me in the middle of a tomb. Think about it. They're terrified, and it came to pass um, uh, that they were afraid, and they bowed down their faces to the earth, and they said to him, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified on the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things in the leaven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of Jesus and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. And their words, watch this, seemed to them as idle tales. Idle tales? That's like a soap opera. That's like something you pick up off the television. It's going, oh yeah, yeah I don't pay attention to that. It didn't strike the apostles. They're like... Oh, that's not true. Can you, can you see that? Here are his 11 apostles who watched him die. These women come in and they're saying he is alive. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. What a day that was, amen. It was just the exact opposite of what you'd expect. Um, and they believed them not. Verse 12, however, it does motivate two guys. Look at verse 12. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher. Who else went with him? Who knows? Do you remember the other person? John. And uh, then there was Peter, and they ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, and beheld the linen clothes, laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was to pass. So, to Peter, to James, and John, and all the apostles, guess what? Write the big word, surprise. <laughs> Jesus is alive. Now, don't be too hard on him, because you didn't believe it either before you got saved, did you? You could quote it, like the Apostles' Creed, but you didn't really believe it. Because if you believe it, it will have an effect on you that can't be stopped. If you believe it, it changes your outlook on life and on eternity. If you believe it, troubles don't weigh you down. They hurt. They are heavy. But if Jesus is alive, it changes everything, doesn't it? Amen. So here, there was a surprise. Jesus was alive. Now, what are the proofs that he's alive? Well, the first one you see right there, an empty tomb. If anything was more evident, it was the fact that his body is not there anymore. Not that they moved it and they buried it somewhere else. If anybody could have found the, the, the body of Jesus, it would have been the Romans. No problem at all, but they couldn't find it. What are the proofs that Jesus is alive? Empty tomb. All the supernatural events surrounding his death, burial, and resurrection. Remember the angels sitting there talking to them? The, uh, the sky growing dark for three hours at the crucifixion shows that something supernatural was happening. Remember the massive earthquake on resurrection morning that opened the graves all over the area around Jerusalem. Remember the ripping of the curtain in the temple from top to bottom. All of these things demonstrated a miracle was happening. How about all the prophecies? The prophecies that somebody, the Messiah, would die where his hands and his feet would be pierced. Remember the prophecies in Isaiah that said that he would be crucified among sinners. Not, not uh, 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 and, and, and in the substitute of sinners. Remember uh, 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 Jonah that prophesied that somebody was going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus himself predicted all of those, it says there in verse 7 and 8, saying, don't you remember 
that he would die and three days later rise again. So even Jesus said a prophecy. Now, uh, uh, this all began something called heartburn. Amen? And, you know, sometimes you have a bad, uh, a bad uh, taco or something and you walk away from a shop, a, a restaurant, and you got heartburn. That's not what we're talking about here. This is, a, this is a burning in our heart that comes because what we claim to believe becomes real. When uh, 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 what are the proofs that that Jesus actually is alive? Well, he showed himself alive. He actually said to his apostles later on, we don't have for time. He says, stick your fingers in my hands, stick your hands in my side. I'm not a spirit. I'm not an image. I'm not a hologram. I'm not a, a, a vision. I'm the real deal. He sat down with his disciples. He said, come and eat. And he ate fish and he ate uh, bread and he ate with his disciples. He was real. He was alive. Now, that was, a, that was a surprise to them. And believe me, it's a surprise to some of us sometimes that he really is alive. And uh, uh, you have to admit, there's one other great proof that Jesus is alive is the extreme life that his disciples lived from that day forward. Think about it. It completely transformed these wimpy, weak, terrified failures into bold, life-risking preachers who told that Jesus was alive. What a crazy thing to go around and say that a dead man is now alive again. And yet Jesus' disciples in the first century just went everywhere saying, he's alive. That was the message they preached, the resurrection. Now the purpose. Go to verse 45. I want to show you something very important because as, as Jesus is talking to them in verse 45, Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. Now, how many of you ever read your Bible and just go, I don't get it? Come on, nod your head. You're just as dumb as I am. Amen. We come to the Bible and it's just like, I just don't get it. Okay. You know, that's when you pray and you say, Lord, I'm not getting it. Show me something, would you? Because now Jesus takes the time to open their understanding. Verse 46 And he said to them, because they weren't getting the the value that, just again, they don't realize that it's Jesus yet. As he's speaking, he's telling them about all the prophecies and telling them that should not Christ have died and, and risen again? Should not the Messiah have suffered for sinners? Shouldn't this all have happened? And they're listening, they're hanging on every word, and he opened their understanding. But what are they, what are they trying to understand? That God would allow such a horrible event like the cross to bring about such a wonderful event like the resurrection. And he said, verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Now, I want you to see verse 47. Why? That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among how many nations? Say it with me. All nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and year witnesses, of these things. Now, I know, I know, probably the purpose of the resurrection, we think, and the purpose of the gospel was so that, so that we could all have a better lifestyle, right? So that we'd all be wealthy. So that we could all have big churches and we could all have comfortable pews. The purpose of the gospel was to make our life better, right? No. The purpose of what Jesus went through on the cross. And think about these disciples who watched their Messiah tortured, and then murdered. And when they walked away, they didn't believe in the resurrection. 
They didn't expect him to get off of that, to get out of that tomb. When Jesus was put into that tomb and that stone was rolled over there, rolled away, they walked away and they were completely defeated. Just like we feel sometimes. But when those women came back and said, check it out, the tomb is empty. The angels are back there. All the prophecies came true. He's alive. And when Jesus appears to his disciples there that first night and then a week later when Thomas finally shows up on Sunday night and he says, check me out, I'm alive, it blows them away. And there's a reason why he appeared and why he showed himself alive. It was for two words. You ready? For repentance and remission of sins to be preached in all the world. Why is that a big deal? Think about it. We think, well, let's, 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 let's preach a better economy. Let's tell people how to have better families. Let's tell people how to have more fun in life. Now, that's no problem at all. I like to have fun. I like to laugh. Although these two kids up here don't know how to tell any jokes at all. They're worth laughing at. Anyway, anyway. Um, maybe they got that from their dad. I don't know. But think about it. Two words that just, it blew away the first century. And believe me, it blew my life away when I understood it. Repentance and remissions. Um, first of all, the most important attitude that needs to be understood by our world is repentance. It is missing. It is, it is, it is uh, uh, the best attitude any human can ever have. Are you ready? 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish. Amen? But that all should come to repentance. That's an amazing word. Repentance is when you face the consequence of your sin. Does our world need to understand just how deep in sin we are? Yes, our culture, our society, everywhere we look, everybody says, I'm okay, and they're not. And repentance is coming face to face with the sure consequences of our sin. What did John the Baptist say? Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Hey, what was he calling for? Repentance. Nobody could come and expect and look to Jesus Christ to do anything for them until they first realized they were in trouble with God. Repentance. That's where we understand not only are we wrong, but that we're really wrong. Where we, we come to complete surrender. Where it's not about how many times we go to church. It's not how many times we pray. It's about whether we give up and we say, I'm a mess. I was on an airplane one time and I got to witness to this woman who was a nun for 30, I want to say 31 years in Tanzania, Africa. And she sat next to me and I handed her a gospel track. I gave her my testimony. She was very sweet. She was wonderful. And as she, uh, uh, we, she talked about all the things that she went through and the bit of trouble, lots of trouble, that she had through 31 years dealing with lepers, dealing with poverty, dealing with death and all kinds of things in, in Tanzania. And then, uh, so I handed her the gospel track. I said, would you mind reading this, this track that I had written? And she started reading it, and she, she handed it back to me. She said, when it finished, she said, I, I like it all. I believe it all except the last point. I said, what was that? She said, that point about how I deserve hell. And I said, uh, what's the problem with that? And she said, because I don't think I deserve hell. Because if, if after all, I said, well, what do you think will get you into heaven? She said, if after all I've been through, and she got very upset and agitated, if after all I've been through, if all the, all the trouble I've experienced, all of the, the disasters I've had to plow myself through, after everything I've been through, if I don't get into heaven that way, I don't want to go. <laughs> wow. You know, see, we have a problem with self-righteousness where we think we're okay. We're, we're not that bad. No, you're not. 
You see, what our world needs to understand is we're wrong, we're wrong, we're wrong, and we need God. And that's where we start. Joel Osteen doesn't start there. What does he say? He says, God loves you. Don't start there. You're in trouble with God. That's where you start. It is appointed a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We're in trouble with God. That's the first thing that needs to be preached. There's a very strong verse in Romans that says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. In our society, all we see is advertisements for sin. All we see are advertisements for flesh and for ungodliness. You know what needs to be in the vision and in the sight of our generation? The fear of God. The coming wrath of God. The trouble that we are in with God. And they're not going to see it on Broadway. They're not going to see it on the street corner. They're going to see it in our words. That needs to be preached in all the world. Your missionaries are there to preach repentance. And aren't you glad for the second half? And remission of sins. Now you can say amen. The first half is hard, isn't it? First, who wants to go and tell them they're in trouble? Except the little brother. Amen? You know why God gave us little brothers? Was always be told by the parents, go tell your brother he's in trouble. You're in trouble with mom. <laughs> anyway, remission of sins. I think that's the best part. Repentance is our part. The removal of our sins is God's part. It's not the work of a church to get your sins removed. Wow, is that hard over in Ireland for people to figure out. Church can't take away your sins. Prayers can't take away your sins. The saints can't take away your sins. Indulgences can't take away your sins. Jesus takes away sins. That's the good news of the gospel. Hey, don't feel better. Listen, the world is in trouble with God. But they can get out of it. They can get their sins removed. That's the message. Every missionary going everywhere has two great things to say. One, you're in trouble with God, and here's how to get out of trouble. You can't get any better preaching. Your pastor's best preaching is telling people how to be saved. Amen? You remember the day you got saved? You remember the day that somebody finally got through that thick skull of yours and said, you need Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. And you know what? I'm going to say this because I'm a missionary. There in verse 47, it says his uh, uh, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. That means from Afghanistan to Azerbaijan, from Bahamas to Burundi, from Cambodia to Czech Republic, from Denmark to the Dominion Republic, all the way found 197 countries. Acts 1.8 says for us to be concerned about a whole world. And I know you guys are. You support missionaries over in Ireland and all over the world. But how are they going to hear without a preacher? Keep them going. Keep your missionaries on the field. Keep praying for them. Keep encouraging them. Write them and say, stay on that field. Because they need to hear of the remission of sins. Now look at verse 48. Very quickly it says, and ye are witnesses of these things. You know, the most qualified people to preach the gospel are those who have experienced it. Amen? A robot can't say it. The internet can't portray it like you can. I know I, I give out gospel tracts all the time. I'm kind of low on them right now. But you know, a gospel tract can only go so far. The best witness is you. The best person to tell somebody how to be saved is you and me. And I mean, you've got the whole world here. You're in the most, one of the most amazing places on the planet. The whole world has been in, in New York for the last 150 years. All the nations are here. I think the pastor was telling me how many languages are around here. 143. And I believe one of his kids can speak all of them but Greek. Isn't that what he said? Anyway. He said, I can't do it. I don't have any power to do it. I don't have any strength to do it. Well, look at verse 49. We'll finish. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. You know, when God makes a promise, can he back out on it? Nope. 
I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That's why you come in church. That's why you sit and you wait. You wait for God to say something that goes, yes. Now, all of this, if you'll go back, I just want to go back here for a second. And it says there, um, oh my goodness, where is it? Verse, verse 31, or verse 30. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, and he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said, then they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour that night and they returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered with them uh, and them uh, that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed. So just that little time with Jesus Christ, just that little time, so emblazed in their heart, he is alive. It changed their life. It set the first century on fire. Do you think the 21st century needs to be on fire for God? Do you think Christians, what is it that made the difference with their life? It wasn't, it wasn't the building, it wasn't the money, it wasn't the good health of the doctors. It was the fact Jesus is alive. And if he's alive today, like we say we believe, if we believed it, it would motivate us. And if we spent just a little bit of time with him in the morning, We'd carry a fistful of tracks with us saying, read that. He wants to talk to you. (laughs) He's waiting to talk to you. He wants to deal with you about your sin. And he'd like to take you home to heaven. Father, would you bless the thoughts tonight? If only we took some time. That invitation that you have, Lord, to spend time with you. Really be reminded that you are alive and that you are the the prayer answering God. And that you are the ever-present help. And you are the Savior of the world. Lord, you saved a wretch like me because you're alive. Lord, would you not save somebody again by using me as I believe that great truth and as I live it. Oh, that it would show in my life that the joy that comes not because I've got all the money or because I've got the good health, whether I'm in a hospital bed or whether I'm at a school or whether I'm on a train, if only people could see that Jesus is alive, I think our world would be stopped dead in its tracks and ask, what is this? How could that be so important to you? How could that make such a difference in your life? I pray that we would take this seriously, that we would preach again that we would get back to going into all the world and we would be passionate about missions and about evangelism, about handing out tracts and about opening our mouth and saying, Jesus is alive indeed. Lord, I pray if you would work on somebody's heart that we would say, Lord, my heart is cold. I haven't handed out a track in a long time. I haven't said amen in a long time. I haven't gotten excited about anything in a long time. And I'm ashamed. If you are alive, and I believe you are, I should be alive as well. I should be excited. I should be on fire. God, put a fire in my heart starting tonight. As the pastor comes, and if you would stand with me now as we finish in prayer, maybe the Lord's dealt with you and you'd like to just commit up here to this altar and say, Lord, give me heartburn. Give me a heart for souls. Give me, give me a concern. The people don't know you, and that religion is not going to make the difference. A living Savior will. And if I'm anything to, to motivate, it would be 
Spend time with Jesus and let him put that heart burning in you and then never, ever shut up about Christ again. Pastor.